Good morning. Like Steve said, and thank you for that kind introduction, Steve, my name is Coy, and my wife Emily and I are honored to be with you this morning. Last time I was at Old Oak, Steve was being ordained and installed as the pastor here. I did not even know about Kate at that point, and I don't think Steve did either. God has done a lot in a short time, and I've been so encouraged to hear from Steve what God is doing in this congregation. I do want to bring you greetings from Clifton Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. I may be the only person you've ever met from Clifton Baptist Church, but we're laboring to serve Christ in our city and reach our community for Christ like you are here, and I want you to know that we love you and are in fellowship in the gospel with you there. Now, as we turn to God's word together, I'm just going to ask you to join me and let's pray together that God will speak to us during this time. Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for Old Oak Bible Church and her ministry here in Cleveland. I ask that you would bless her and meet all of her needs in Jesus Christ. I pray for Steve and the other pastors here as they lead this congregation and ask that you would give them wisdom. Now, as we turn to your word, I ask that you will speak to us. Please give us insight and understanding into your word so that we might follow hard after Jesus Christ. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Disney has created waves at the box office in the last few years because they've been releasing live-action remakes of their classic animated movies. And just to name a few of the movies they've released, they've released Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, they've released Mary Poppins, and several others. They've released live-action remakes of these classic movies. But just over a week ago, Disney released a remake of their greatest masterpiece, The Lion King. Now, I found out last night that Bill and I have similar taste in movies. And Emily and I just watched this a little over a week ago, and I got to see the iconic scene again, where Rafiki, the monkey, leads Simba, the lion, to speak to his father, Mufasa. And if you don't know the story, I don't know how that's possible, but if you don't know the story, Mufasa, Simba's father, was killed in a stampede through the treachery of his brother Scar. And after the death of Mufasa, Simba lost his way. Instead of assuming the kingship and protecting his people, he ran away. And he lived a life apart from his people. He adopted the motto, Akuna Matata, which makes a great song, but it's a terrible motto for a king because it means no worries. And Simba lived for himself without regard for how his actions or lack of actions might affect others. But in the iconic scene that I'm talking about, Rafiki leads Simba to speak to his father, Mufasa, in the clouds, and Mufasa simply says to Simba, remember who you are. Because Simba had forgotten his identity and responsibilities as king. Why do I bring that up? Well, like Simba, Christians get in trouble when they forget who they are. 
When Christians forget their identity and responsibilities, they get in trouble. And for that reason, Jesus regularly taught his disciples about who they are and how they should live in the world. And this morning, I want to spend our time looking at a familiar passage where Jesus does just that. He teaches his disciples about their identity and responsibilities, who they are and how they should live. So if you have a copy of the Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. If you don't have a copy of the Bible with you, there's a pew Bible in the back of the pew in front of you, and you can find that passage on page 810. Once again, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Now, before I read my sermon text, I do want to briefly set it in context. Now, Matthew 5, 13 through 16, takes place in the Sermon on the Mount, maybe the most famous portion of the New Testament. It stretches from Matthew 5 to 7. And I just want to direct your eyes up the page, or maybe just onto the previous page, to Matthew 5, verses 1 through 2, which introduced the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to read these verses just to set our passage this morning in context. So Matthew 5, 1 through 2 says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. So with that introduction and context in mind, I'm now going to read Matthew 5, 13 through 16, and I invite you to follow along with me as I read. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Here's the plan for our time this morning. First, I'm going to spend some time looking at the metaphors which Jesus uses in this passage in detail. And then with the remainder of our time, I'm going to try to talk about the implications that this passage has for Christians today. Because this passage matters for you and me. So first, the metaphors. Now, Jesus uses a series of metaphors in this passage to teach his disciples. If you look back at the passage, in verse 13, Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. In verse 14, You are the light of the world. In verse 14, again, A city set on a hill. In verse 15, A lamp. Now, Jesus is a master teacher. And you can probably already see these images in your mind. Can you see salt being thrown onto the earth? Can you see a light shining into the world? Can you see a city sitting up on a hill so that it can be seen from miles away? Can you see a lamp giving light to the room? With each of these metaphors, Jesus says something simple but profound about his followers. Now, as I said earlier, this is a familiar passage. 
The phrase salt and light for many people is instantly recognizable as coming from the Bible. But sometimes familiarity can become a bit of an obstacle, can't it? Because when we're familiar with a passage, we don't always spend time meditating and thinking deeply about what it means for us. Instead, when people say salt and light, we might just kind of groan a little bit spiritually and close our eyes and nod our head and go along with it without thinking deeply about what it means that Jesus has said these words for us. So I want to invite you to think deeply with me this morning about these metaphors and what they mean about Jesus's people. So first, you are the salt of the earth. Now, at first, Jesus's words might actually seem confusing because salt has many uses, doesn't it? Salt can be used as a seasoning or it can be used as a purifier and it can be used to melt slugs. Salt has a whole use a whole range of uses. And so it might seem confusing what Jesus is saying. Is Jesus saying that Christians season the earth? Is Jesus saying that Christians can melt ice? You know, in the ancient world, salt was viewed as a basic good. So what Jesus is saying is actually quite clear. In the ancient world, salt was used to preserve meat, and it was used as a seasoning, and it was used as a purifier. So Jesus' audience who heard him speak these words would have known that although individual grains of salt are tiny, they have great power to season, preserve, and to cleanse. So when Jesus calls his disciples salt, he's saying that they have a positive role to play in the world. Like salt preserves and seasons food, Christians influence the world for good. And Jesus is saying that Christians have a unique role in the world. Like nothing does what salt does, nothing does what Christians do in the world. And finally, Jesus is saying that Christians have a distinct role in the world. Salt is different and distinct from the thing which it salts. And in the same way, Christians are different from the world. So when Jesus says that his disciples are salt, he's saying that they have a positive, unique, and distinct role to play in the world. Second metaphor. In Matthew 5.14, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. At one point earlier this week, I was studying this passage in the dark and cold library at Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Steve knows that library well. And after I'd been working in the dark and the cold for a few hours, I needed to leave the building and go outside into the light so that I could be warmed and energized so that I could keep on working. Light brings life and warmth into the world. Without light, the world would be lifeless and cold. And light is totally distinct from darkness. In a dark room, even the slightest ray of light is instantly visible. So you see, when Jesus calls his disciples the light of the world, he's actually saying something that's very similar to when he says, you are the salt of the earth. When Jesus says that his disciples are the light of the world, he's saying that his disciples have a life-giving, unique, and distinct role to play in the world. Now, there are two more metaphors, aren't there? When Jesus compares his disciples to a city and a lamp, he communicates that they should be visible 
And to do it, Jesus appeals to their common sense and to our common sense. Can you imagine hiding the city of Cleveland from the world? Can you imagine lighting a lamp in your house and then immediately covering it with something to totally darken it? Of course you can't. And that's Jesus' point. In the same way that a city and a lamp are visible, Jesus' disciples are meant to be seen in the world. So let's put all of this together, these four metaphors. When you put it all together, when Jesus uses the metaphors of salt, light, a city, and a lamp, he communicates that his disciples have a positive, unique, and distinct role to play in the world, and they should play it visibly. They should be seen while they do it. Now, like I said earlier, I want to explore the metaphors. Now what I want to do is I want to talk about the implications that these have for the Christian life. In other words, what does it mean for you and me today that Jesus compares his disciples to salt, light, a city, and a lamp? So here's how I would summarize this statement, and I think you have this in your bulletin. Here's how I would summarize the implications of Matthew 5, 13 through 16 for Christians today. Christians are distinct from the world, for the good of the world, to the glory of God. Now, I want to dive into each aspect of that statement. So first, Christians are distinct from the world. So when Jesus calls his disciples salt and light, he commands them to be distinct from the world. Now, that raises a question, doesn't it? Distinct how? How should Christians be different from the world? Does Jesus just mean that he wants Christians to tip generously at restaurants? Does he mean that he wants them to be nice people? Does he mean that he wants them to try to make a difference in the world? Well, maybe, but I think that Jesus means something much more specific, and I want you to see this. Jesus is calling them to be distinct by following him. Jesus is calling his disciples to be different by following in his footsteps. In John 8, 12, which we read as the call to worship, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So as Christians follow the light of the world, they become lights in the world. As Christians talk like Jesus talked, they become different. As Christians act like Jesus acted, they become distinct. So if you're a Christian, Jesus is calling you to be different. If you're a Christian, Jesus is calling you to be distinct distinct by following him, distinct in the way you think and speak, distinct at home and at work, distinct in the way you act and in the way you feel. Philippians 2, 14 through 15 says this, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. But, you know, many people actually don't recognize that Jesus calls his people to be different and distinct from the world. In fact, many people actually believe that being a Christian just means getting baptized. 
and going to church without any requirement of being different or distinct from the world. You know, there is a subgenre of movies and TV shows and books that is obsessed with zombies, the undead. And these shows and TV shows share one thing in common. Humanity is fighting an enemy that just refuses to die. And every time it is killed, it rises again. You know, I think about that because I've found that certain myths about Christianity have a zombie-like character. They just won't die. And this is one of those myths. The idea that being a Christian doesn't require you to be different from the world in any meaningful way. But being a Christian just means going to church, maybe reading your Bible occasionally, and hopefully being baptized. And the reality is Jesus doesn't believe that. Jesus says that being a Christian means being different and distinct from the world by following him. And Jesus exposes this myth for what it is. Being a Christian means being salt and light. I want you to look back at the passage. Look at verse 13. Distinctiveness is so important to Jesus that he says that his disciples are useless if they don't have it. Don't take my word for it. Look at what Jesus says in verse 13. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. By losing its essential quality, saltiness, the salt becomes useless. Now, unsalty salt, of course, is a contradiction in terms like dry water. But that's Jesus's point, isn't it? Jesus wants his disciples to know that if they contradict his teaching with their lives, they're useless. Jesus wants his disciples to know that if they live in a way that's inconsistent with who they are, then they have no purpose in the world. So Christian, I'll ask you, have you embraced the call of Jesus to distinctiveness? Are you living in the world in a way that stands out from the world because you're following Jesus? Now, I know that Christians face obstacles in living a distinct life. It's difficult to live different from the world, and much more importantly than me knowing that, Jesus knows that. Jesus knows that Christians face pressure to conform to the world. This is what Jesus says in John 15, 18 through 19. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You know, in some cases, this pressure is explicit, violent, and physical. Steve, in his pastoral prayer, prayed for Christians in Uzbekistan. And in many countries in Central Asia, the pressure against Christians to conform to society, often a Muslim status quo, the pressure is explicit, violent, and physical. But in America today, the pressure is much more subtle. When Christians live in a distinct and different way, they might face the pressure of being excluded at school, possibly mocked or just simply avoided at work. Like Jesus says, because Christians are chosen out of the world and not of the world, the world hates them in the same way that it hated Jesus. So living a distinct life isn't easy. 
But if you're facing pressure to conform to the world, you can find comfort in knowing that the world pressured Jesus before it pressured you. If you find yourself struggling to be different, it's because you're following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. Now, here's an important question that I haven't asked yet. How does somebody become salt, light, a city on a hill, or a lamp? How does somebody become those things? You know, Jesus doesn't answer that question in this passage, and he speaks like the people whom he's speaking to are already salt and light. Do you remember Matthew 5, 1 through 2? I had us read that passage earlier for a reason. Look back at Matthew 5, 1 through 2 if you still have your Bibles open. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. So Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Jesus doesn't explain how to become salt and light because he's not speaking to the world in general. He's speaking to the people who are following him. So somebody becomes salt, light, a city, or a lamp by following Jesus. And as the rest of the Bible explains, what it means to follow Jesus is to turn away from sin and trust him alone for salvation and to follow after him in your life. So Jesus here is speaking to his disciples. And the good news of the Bible is that Jesus invites anyone and everyone to follow after him. You know, the reason that Jesus' disciples are salt and light and a city and a lamp is because that's what Jesus was. That's what Jesus was. Through Jesus' teaching and perfect life, he salted the earth. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, he lit up the world. And like a city and a lamp, he worked for the glory of God for the world to see. As Christians follow after Jesus, they become salt and light in the world by being different. Now, Christians are called to be distinct from the world for a specific purpose and a specific reason. And that brings us to the second part of the statement, the second part of this main statement. Christians are distinct from the world for the good of the world, for the good of the world. So that's the second part of our statement. So Jesus doesn't want his disciples to be different just for the sake of being different. Instead, by being different from the world, followers of Jesus benefit the world. You know, if Christians were designed to be different from the world for their own good, then maybe the best plan would be to withdraw from the world altogether and avoid the world entirely. And Christians throughout history have actually done that. Christians have retreated into monasteries and retreats and separated themselves entirely from the world. Some Christians have called this salvation by separation. By separating themselves from the world, these Christians throughout history have hoped to avoid being corrupted by the world so that they do not lose their salvation through being exposed to a dark world. But... Jesus doesn't want Christians to be different from the world for their own good. He wants Christians to be different from the world for the good of the world. 
Salt and light exert an influence for good. And in the same way, Jesus calls Christians to be different from the world for the good of the world. Now, to fully understand what Jesus is saying, you have to understand that the world is a dark place, according to Jesus. Jesus said in John 12, 46, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Apart from Jesus Christ, the world is a dark place, full of sin and evil. And because the world is a dark place, it needs light. Because the world is dark, it needs the disciples of Jesus to influence it for good. Now, you might ask, though, how do Christians benefit the world? How do Christians influence the world for good? Well, in a world of hate, Christians are kind. In a world of lust, Christians love. In a world of lies, Christians speak the truth. In a world of hypocrisy, Christians are consistent. In a world of revenge, Christians forgive. In a world of greed, Christians give. When Christians refuse to conform, they give the world hope. And Christians proclaim the good news about Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Disciples of Jesus know that the world is dark because they once lived in that darkness. But Christ called us out into his marvelous light. So Christians live for the good of the world by proclaiming that good news. Jesus Christ calls people out of darkness into light. And Christians are different for the good of the world by proclaiming that good news. So, brothers and sisters, be different. Not just for your own good, but for the good of the world. Be different by living for Christ in your workplace, at your home, and by speaking the good news about Jesus Christ who calls people out of darkness and into light. Now, some of you might think, how am I going to live for the good of the world? Some of you might think, how am I going to make a difference in the world? You might think, I'm just one person, or I'm too young, or I'm too old, or I'm not gifted enough to make a difference. And I would say, if and when you think those things, think about Mufasa's words to Simba. Remember who you are. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. And Jesus said, you are the light of the world, and Jesus can always be trusted. Disciples of Jesus can be distinct from the world for the good of the world because they're following after Jesus Christ. Now, somebody who's not a Christian might actually think that all of this is kind of prideful. Christians think they are the salt of the earth. Christians think that they live for the good of the world. Christians think that they are the light of the world. And that brings us to the final implication for the Christian life. Christians are distinct from the world for the good of the world to the glory of God. To the glory of God. You know, 
I work a lot with high schoolers and middle schoolers. And one thing I've learned is that people act differently for a lot of different reasons. People act, dress, and think differently to express themselves, to rebel, to get attention. Emily and I met as adults, and so we never went to prom together in high school. But I was invited to chaperone a high school prom this year. So we went to prom together as adults. And while we were chaperoning, I got to witness a lot of interesting social dynamics. But one of the most tragic was that two girls showed up to prom wearing the exact same red dress. Now, both girls acted like it was no big deal. They even took a picture together. They laughed it off. But everyone knew. For those two girls, this was a tragedy. You know, by experience, Expressing themselves differently from people around them, people draw attention to themselves. They express their personality and beauty, and there's nothing wrong with that. But that's not why Jesus wants his disciples to be different. Jesus isn't asking his disciples to do the spiritual equivalent of wearing a one-of-a-kind prom dress. Jesus has bigger plans for the distinction in the lives of his disciples. Jesus simply explains why he wants his disciples to be different in verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus wants his disciples to be different, not for their own glory, but for the glory of God. And notice something. Jesus gives this as a command. Jesus commands his disciples. He says, let your light shine before others. So disciples of Jesus, Christians, should resolve to be different in the world for the glory of God. Like the song says, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Christians should resolve to be different in the world for the glory of God. Now, you know, today it's actually common for people to say that matters of faith and religion should actually be private. An article in the New York Times recently put it this way, and I quote, religious faith is a private matter between a believer and God. Now, that may be true in one sense, but Jesus is saying that his disciples should do good works in public for the glory of God. Because God wants to get glory through the lives of his people. Emily and I love to watch shows about spies, agents, and covert operatives. We're just fascinated by the mystery, and we love the dynamic of people who, through disguise and deception, infiltrate societies and groups to accomplish some purpose. But as Jesus makes clear, Christians are not covert operatives. Christians are meant to live for the glory of God in public, to do good works to God's glory in the world for everyone to see. Jesus says a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. He says people do not light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, Christians should be different for the glory of God. Now, later in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus also says that his disciples should not do things for their own glory. Matthew 6 was read earlier, and in Matthew 6, 1, Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus solemnly warns 
his disciples that they should not publicize their faith for their own glory or for their own vanity. So you see, Jesus challenges Christians who tend to privatize their faith, but he also challenges Christians who try to publicize it for their own glory or vanity. Jesus will not tolerate either. Jesus intends for his disciples to be different from the world for two reasons, for the good of the world and for the glory of God. And Jesus will not tolerate people who do empty religious actions to bring attention and glory to themselves. So Christians are distinct from the world for the good of the world and to the glory of God. As I studied this passage, I was struck by how this passage connects to what Jesus says in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven through 39. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment that God has given? And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus intends for his disciples to be different as an expression of their love for their neighbor and as an expression of their love for God. Christians are distinct from the world for the good of the world and to the glory of God. Will you pray with me? Father, I ask that you will give your people grace to follow Jesus in this world by being salt and light. I ask that you will help us by your grace to live for your glory in the world. I ask that you will magnify your name in Old Oak Bible Church. I ask that you will give them everything that they need to fulfill your mission for this church. And I ask that you will fill them with love for you and with love for their neighbors. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.